To begin today's message, I want to ask you, what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed? We've talked a lot over the last little while about the reality of all of the things that are going on around us, and so many of us are feeling overwhelmed or have over the last couple of years in particular. So when that kind of gets a little bit too much, what's your response to that? If some of us are honest, I think that we probably go into kind of full tilt mode, so we busy our lives up and make sure that we keep going, keep going, do lots and lots of things to try and distract us from the things that might be making us feel a bit overwhelmed. And others of us might go to the other extreme where we kind of go into shutdown mode and shut people out and shut the world out and just, I don't want to process any of it. But I think for all of us, what we really desire is the ability to be able to sit with someone and to be able to talk about what's going on for us. To be able to sit with someone who we can recognise actually understands how we're feeling. Whether that's a close friend, a family member, someone that we really trust. Being able to sit with them and say, this is what's going in in my life and I'm really, really struggling at the moment. And our hope is that that person will then be able to empathise with us, be able to understand how we're feeling, but also be able to give us some good advice, be able to speak truth to us, be able to help us to see things accurately and be able to say, here's what some next steps might be for you so that you can keep going. So today, as we continue our series called In the Upper Room and some of the things that Jesus talked about with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, we're going to see that Jesus says that's exactly the role of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is given to us to play that role, that especially when things are out of control, especially when we're feeling overwhelmed, the Holy Spirit is there to listen to us, to empathise with us and to be able to help to speak truth to us and help us to move forward. So hopefully you grabbed a copy of the teaching notes on the way in so you can jot things down as we go through today's message. And uh, if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 15. Now, if you were a keener and you looked ahead, you would have seen that we've got a lot to get through today. So we're going to be here for about three hours. No, we're not. So, But we're going to do a chapter and a half. But we are going to skip through a little bit because what we're going to see is that there are some key themes that Jesus keeps coming back to throughout this chapter and a half. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you'll be able to kind of track along with us as we move forward through that. Before we get to the passage, though, I want us to just kind of reorient ourselves about what's going on. So you might like to close your eyes again and imagine the scene that we've been talking about for these last few weeks as a way of helping to prepare us for Easter. Jesus is spending this time in what's called the upper room with his disciples, this place that they've found where they're going to celebrate the Passover meal. But as a part of that meal, Jesus has told them that this is going to be his final meal with them. Jesus has then, as a part of the meal, talked to them about these elements of bread and wine that are going to be key elements to help them remember everything about him after he's gone. Jesus has then washed each of his disciples' feet a very confronting and humbling experience for all of them. But then Jesus has also talked about how Peter is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. And Judas is going to betray Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus has then spoken these amazing words of comfort and hope that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, encouragement about why it is that we can trust in who God is. And then last week, we looked at these verses where Jesus talks about the image of the vine and reminding his disciples to stay connected to him so that he can do the work that he wants to do in their lives. 
As we mentioned at the beginning of the series, some of these conversations begin as the disciples actually leave the upper room. And so by this point, they're probably walking along the road. It's very late at night and they're heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I don't know about you, but as I picture myself being one of the disciples and going through all of that over these last couple of hours, I would be feeling very overwhelmed, very confused, sad, anxious, what's going to happen, what's going on. But then all of that's mixed up with these amazing words of encouragement and hope that Jesus has spoken as well. My head would be absolutely spinning as I tried to understand everything that Jesus has been talking about. Well, now Jesus takes everything to another level and he tells his disciples just how hard things are about to get for him, but even more so for them. And so this is a somewhat challenging passage that we're going to look at and there is a lot that's jammed into it and so hopefully we can kind of make our way through it together but I will name that there are lots and lots of concepts that we're going to be looking at today and so if you want to unpack any of them further please feel free to come and have a chat with me. But what we see throughout all of these very complex things that Jesus says is more of these amazing words of encouragement and hope and peace that Jesus wants to offer to his disciples and offer to us as well. So we're going to pick things up in John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Jesus says to his disciples, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer a part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Some very challenging words from Jesus here. Hate is a very, very strong word for him to use. And we recognise that for the disciples, there are these massive storm clouds that are brewing about what they're about to go into. Jesus knows that they are going to experience real, genuine hatred as they make make their way forward. And particularly, that's going to come from two sources. The Romans, who are in control of everything at this point and have a very clear philosophy. If you want to embrace the Roman way of life, we would love you to come and join us. If you don't, there'll be consequences for you. And then also the religious leaders who sadly had adopted a bit of a similar mindset. We would love you to live the way that we would like you to live and to follow the rules and the guidelines that we've got. But if you don't, then there's going to be consequences and implications for you as well. And so Jesus is speaking directly to what's about to happen to them, facing persecution, accusations, being chased out of town, physical beatings, and even for some of the disciples, ultimately having their lives taken as they choose to continue to follow Jesus. Now, we may not experience the same level of hatred and persecution, particularly in Western culture, but we do know that around the world there are still people, our brothers and sisters in other countries, who are facing these same threats, this same level of hatred and persecution. In reality, for lots of us, the pushback that we experience from following Jesus is generally more inconvenience or making us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know that it generates all the way across to hatred, but it is still good for us to consider this question that Jesus is challenging us about. Do we align with the world or do we align with Jesus? Do our values come primarily from Jesus and what he says Or do our values come primarily from the culture around us? Do we even stop and take the time to think about what shapes the decisions that we make and the core of our motivations? Because at its extreme, what Jesus is saying 
is that one road leads to love and the other road leads to hatred. A key marker of those of us who choose to follow Jesus is love. Over and over and over again, Jesus talks about this. We've talked about it over the last number of weeks. That obediently following Jesus means loving God and loving the people around us. That's our primary motivator for everything that we think, for everything that we do, for everything that we say. So love is at the core of those of us who follow Jesus. The opposite of that, Jesus says, is hatred. And while that might seem a little bit extreme, when we stop and think about the reality that at the core of hatred really is fear of the other, mistrust of the other, suspicion about the other, we can see how easily that turns into hatred and how much that is a part of the culture around us. When we think about what's at the core of racism, when we think about what's at the core of Christians and Muslims persecuting each other, and it is important to name that that happens both ways, When we think about what's at the core of debates over vaccinations, the place of women and men in our culture, generational divides, even when we think about what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment, at the core of all of it is fear of the other, suspicion about the other, mistrust of the other. And if we allow ourselves to go down that road, ultimately it leads to a place of hatred. So this is a really important question for us to wrestle with. As we seek to follow Jesus authentically, what do we stand for? And what do we stand against? But most importantly, as we ask that question, is love genuinely at the core of whatever it is that we're standing for or standing against? Or if we're honest, sometimes other things that we stand for or stand against filled with fear of the other, mistrust, or suspicion. This is an important reminder because Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 2, that even the religious leaders were able to be deceived about what their motivations were. He says, For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. Just think about that. Those who kill you think that they're doing a holy service for God. It is possible for us to think that we're doing God's work but not actually have others-centred love at the core of the decisions that we're making. So I don't know about you, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's like, well, how do I know? How am I supposed to know whether I am going down the right road, which values I am aligned with? And Jesus then spends quite a bit of time unpacking that that's a key role of the Holy Spirit. So in some ways, this feels like this huge sidetrack that Jesus goes off on, but we'll see how he brings it around to being able to understand what it looks like to live as peace-filled people who are filled with love. So Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, where he says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. So Jesus says that the role of the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And in other translations, the word helper is used or mediator is used. But I think the most helpful word uh, translation is the word counsellor. Because I think most of us have a fairly good understanding of the role of a counsellor. Understanding that when we choose to go and meet with a counsellor, we're hoping that we're meeting up with someone who is wise, someone who's empathetic, someone who can help us to understand what's going on inside of us 
someone who can speak truth to us and help us to understand the way that things actually are. And so Jesus says this is the role of the Holy Spirit. He's our counsellor who is here to speak truth to us. And specifically, what is the truth that the Holy Spirit wants to speak? The truth about who Jesus is. The truth about what Jesus has done. But Jesus goes on a bit further in John chapter 16, verses 7 to 9, where he says, But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, counsellor, won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So verse 8 is pretty jam-packed. There's a lot of big words and a lot of big concepts there. So let's take a bit of time to unpack it. First of all, Jesus says that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit as our counsellor is to bring conviction into our lives. And it's really important that we understand the difference between conviction and guilt. Conviction means that we recognise that we've messed up. We recognise that we've fallen short of the best version of who we can be. But conviction means that we dust ourselves off We get back on the bike and we try again. That's what conviction looks like. Guilt, on the other hand, is a downward spiral. And guilt generally sounds a lot like this. I knew I'd mess up again. I always get this wrong. I'm such a failure. I'm never, ever going to be able to get better at this. I'm useless. I'm terrible. That's what guilt sounds like. Conviction lifts us up and helps us to move forward. Guilt drags us down until we have nothing left. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us to help us to see our brokenness accurately, to encourage us and challenge us to grow and to be able to move forward. So what specifically does the Holy Spirit convict us of? Well, in verse 9, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, which is the refusal to believe in Jesus. So that's a helpful way of understanding what sin is, that sin is just genuinely the refusal to believe in Jesus. The cause of all sin is the refusal to trust, to believe in who Jesus is, that Jesus shows us the way to live, that what Jesus says is true. Because when we refuse to believe in Jesus, whose responsibility is it to fix everything? Ours. And that's why we talk so often about sin being selfishness, because it all comes back to me. When I say Jesus hasn't done enough or I refuse to believe in Jesus, then it all comes back onto my shoulders. So specifically, Jesus says, the Spirit's role as our counsellor is to convict us about God's righteousness and about the coming judgment. So again, two big words, two very big concepts. So the word righteousness can be a little bit of an overwhelming word, but in actual fact, the word righteousness just means right relationship. So any time that you hear the word righteousness, we sang it a few minutes ago, all you need to just translate directly across is a right relationship. That's what righteousness means. Being able to live in a full, complete relationship without any barriers between us and the other. So when we talk about God's righteousness, what we're talking about is a full, complete relationship with God, which is what God's desire has always been for us. That's why God created us was to be able to have a full relationship with him. So the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit is that we can't create a right relationship with God on our own, that we can't do enough, we can't love perfectly enough, we can't live perfectly enough to be able to do what's required to have a full, complete relationship with God. 
But the Holy Spirit is also there to remind us that we don't have to. That's the great news. It's not actually our responsibility to try and do that. In actual fact, the reason that we have righteousness, a right relationship with God, is purely because of Jesus. It's purely because of what Jesus has done. So that makes sense that Jesus would say that sin is a refusal to believe in him, a refusal to believe that he's the one who gives us the opportunity to have a full, complete relationship with God. Jesus also says that the Spirit convicts us about God's judgment. It's another huge concept. And so God's judgment is God saying that all of the brokenness that's in the world, all of the stuff that's wrong with the world, all of the selfishness that people display and the consequences of that is not okay. God can't just turn a blind eye and say, well, I'm going to pretend that it never happened. God is a God of justice. And so when people get hurt, there is a price that needs to be paid. Once again, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us that if we think we're the ones who can fix that, we're going to fall very, very short. We can't possibly do enough to make up for all of the things that we do where we hurt people intentionally or unintentionally, for all of the stuff that's wrong in the world. There's no way that we can do enough to be able to solve that. But we don't have to. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to tell us, is that it's not our responsibility to try and fix that either. Jesus is ultimately the one who comes to bring justice, to heal the brokenness, to restore what God has always wanted for us. That's what we're going to reflect on and celebrate in a couple of weeks' time at Easter. Jesus' death and resurrection means that it's finished. It's over. It's done. It's no more our responsibility to try and solve these problems. It's not up to us to try and earn it, to be perfect enough, to think that if I can prove that I'm good enough then maybe God will turn the other way or maybe God might accept me. No, it's not on me. It's all about Jesus. So again, it makes sense that Jesus saying that sin is the refusal to believe in him is Jesus saying that sin is the refusal to believe that Jesus is the one who's dealt with the problem of sin. Jesus is the one who's dealt with the justice that needs to happen in the world. And thinking that it's still up to us to have to do it. So why does all of this matter and how does all of this fit with the idea of living as loving people? Because when we recognise that none of this is about us, that it's not my responsibility, all of a sudden I'm free. I'm freed up to be able to believe this is all because of Jesus. It's all because of what he has done. So now I can love radically, love generously, because it's not my responsibility to solve all these problems. Because when we think that it's all about us, what ends up happening is that our focus shifts to comparing ourselves to other people. Am I better than that person? Because if I'm better than them, then it probably means that God likes me more than them. Am I doing enough? Does God actually like me? Have I done enough to make up for that thing that I did yesterday? Is God going to accept me and embrace me? All these feelings about anxiety well up within us, whether we wonder, have I done enough? Am I good enough? And as I start comparing myself to other people, all of those other things kick back in. Fear of the other, suspicion about the other, instead of being able to just genuinely love them because it doesn't matter. I don't have to compare myself to anyone. 
So, I hope you're hanging in there. I told you it was going to be a complex one today. Let's sum up what Jesus has said here. The Holy Spirit is the one who is our counsellor. That's the role that the Holy Spirit comes to be in our lives. And what specifically does the Holy Spirit do? First of all, leads us into truth, speaks truth into our lives about who Jesus is. But then also comes to convict us, to help us to see things accurately, but in a way that helps us to be able to move forward. And to remind us that our relationship with God is not contingent on us. It's all because of what Jesus has done. So because of that, we know that we can live as loving people. But Jesus also says that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us, to not just leave us where we are, but to be able to help us to move forward. In John 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he'll tell you what he's heard. He'll tell you about the future. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. As we sit with the Holy Spirit as our counsellor, the Holy Spirit also helps us to know what's next. What's the next thing that I need to work on? What's the next thing that I need to focus on? What's the next thing that I need to do? I don't have to have it all planned out. I don't have to have it all sorted out. I don't have to know every single answer. I just need to recognise what's the next thing that the Holy Spirit is gently guiding me into, calling me forward and saying, come on, let's go a little bit further down the road as we continue to follow Jesus. We just need to trust that if we're willing to listen, the Holy Spirit will lead us. As we stay connected to Jesus, as we talked about last week, as we follow those little nudgings and promptings of the Spirit, we'll continue to move forward in the way that Jesus wants us to. So, Jesus says all of that, as I said, feels like this massive sidetrack, but then he comes back at the end of this passage in verse 33 and he sums up why this all matters. Because he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Are we living in challenging times where we feel overwhelmed at times? Absolutely. Is that new? No, certainly not. This is why it's helpful for us to remind ourselves about the journey of the disciples in this moment, about what's about to unfold for all of them. But then to fast forward and think that a couple of decades later, the temple in Jerusalem is completely destroyed, the centre of spirituality is gone. As we think through history, we think about all of the plagues that have happened and all of the disease that's run through our world. We think about all the wars that have happened. We think about all the times that countries have invaded other countries and countries have invaded Indigenous people. We think about floods, famines, earthquakes. Jesus never promises us that life will be easy. Jesus never promises us that we won't have trouble and trials in our lives. And I'm challenged by that because sometimes that's my expectation. If I'm experiencing difficulty in my life, it must be because I've messed up. It must be because I'm not doing something right. And so God's kind of turned away or he's punishing me for messing up. Jesus says, no. In this world, hard things are going to happen. Challenging times are going to be a part of your life. But he promises that he will be with us and that we can find our peace 
in him, even in the midst of our trials and sorrows. Part of that is because Jesus reminds us that this isn't going to last forever, that Jesus ultimately has overcome the world. Jesus has ultimate victory, and there will be a time when on the other side of this life, we get to experience that victory in all of its fullness. But in the meantime, where do we expect that we're going to find peace? Is it in possessions, money, security, having everything crossed off my to-do list, relationships, health? Jesus says we find our peace in him. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we find our peace despite our circumstances, not because of our circumstances. Peace does not mean the removal or the absence of conflict, the absence of challenges, or the absence of crises. Jesus says, I have told you all of this about the Holy Spirit so that you can find your peace in me. So I know there's a lot there today. As I prepared this week, I was like, man, oh man, (laughs) there is a lot. And I cut some, if you can believe that. So what I want to do now is to be able to give us an opportunity to have some very simple takeaways into this week. So even if that has felt incredibly overwhelming, even if some of that's gone over your head, it's totally fine. We want to come back to this beautiful picture that Jesus gives us of the Holy Spirit as our counsellor. And what I would love you to reflect on as we wrap up our message is how can I let the Spirit lead me into a place of peace this week? Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is here to lead us to him so that we can find our peace in him. So practically speaking, for some of us, it might be worth thinking about the idea of actually making an appointment to see the Holy Spirit as our counsellor. To say one day this week, I'm going to set some time aside and maybe even set some chairs up or sit in my lounge room and imagine that I'm having a counselling session with the Holy Spirit and just be able to talk about how I'm feeling, talk about what's going on for me, the things that I'm struggling with. If it's helpful, maybe to journal some of those things down. But then also to be able to spend some time listening. What does the Holy Spirit say to you? What does the Holy Spirit encourage you with? What does the Holy Spirit remind you about Jesus in that moment? For some of us, that could be an opportunity for us to think about what conviction looks like. And again, conviction that helps us to be able to dust ourselves off and move forward, not guilt that drags us down. So not shying away from being challenged about those places where things aren't exactly right. Not shying away from the reality of those times when we're not making others-centred, loving decisions. But also perhaps being convicted about the ways in which we think it's up to us to try and fix our relationship with God or to make up for all of the things that we do wrong. To be convicted that actually it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Or for some of us, it could be that picture of the Holy Spirit as our counsellor and our guide. Being able to surrender what's going to happen next week, next month, next year, and instead be able to simply say, what's the next step? What is the Holy Spirit prompting me about what's in front of me right now? What does it look like to sit there? As we have that opportunity to connect with the Holy Spirit, we then wait And allow the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of peace that Jesus wants to offer to us, no matter what's going on in our lives. So I want to give you some time to be able to reflect on that. 
how can I let the Holy Spirit lead me into a place of peace this week? What's one practical step that you want to think about? We'll come back and pray, and then we'll transition across to communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, the counsellor who comes into our lives to speak truth to us, to help us to see things accurately and to be able to see what the way forward looks like. We recognise that for some of us, there's a lot that we've talked about today that might feel overwhelming and incredibly complex But we recognise that that's also how the disciples were feeling as they spent this time with you on the night before your crucifixion. The sense of not being able to grasp the entirety of everything that you were saying, but also recognising that you still loved them, you still accepted them, and that a part of what you were telling them was, it's going to be okay because you'll have the Holy Spirit to help you understand and to be able to help you to continue to move forward. And so we pray that you would continue to help us to just follow you wherever we're at, to not feel like we have to have all the answers, to not feel like we have to have everything solved, to not try and understand everything about the enormity of what you've done for us, but to allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth into our circumstances today, this week, into the things that you're calling us to do, the ways in which you're continuing to challenge us and to shape us so that we can be more like you, Jesus. As we move forward, we thank you that we can do that in confidence, that we're not alone, regardless of how difficult the circumstances are that we're facing, regardless of the challenges, the troubles and the trials that we face. You're with us and you want to offer peace to us, not because of the circumstances, but in spite of them. 
that we can find our peace in you. So as we move into this week, help us to experience that. In your name we pray. Amen.